This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since then they had stayed awake and they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to the master, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Uh, You may be seated. Good morning, all. Welcome to Christ the King. My name is Chris. I'm pastoral resident here, and I'm really deeply thankful to be worshiping with you all this morning. My wife and I started attending Christ the King the first weekend of Lent, and while I don't mean to make every single Sunday that I preach uh, a new episode of a mini-series we're calling How Chris and Shelby Became Anglican, uh, it's kind of turning out that way, um, because this morning the people of God celebrate the Feast of Transfiguration. And until just the last few weeks, I didn't actually even realize uh, what feasts were and that we still celebrated them. So welcome to this morning's installment of How Chris and Shelby Became Anglican. Um, We're going to talk about feasts today, y'all, so get pumped. So every year on August 6th is the Feast of Transfiguration. It serves as a reminder to draw near to God's presence, to celebrate and worship in the midst of ordinary times and the regular rhythms of our lives. I think it's especially important this year as it falls on a Sunday. And so we have now observed the transfiguration for a second Sunday in 2023. So there is actually a transfiguration Sunday, uh, which is a part of the liturgical calendar, and it's different from the feast of transfiguration that we observe today. Transfiguration Sunday takes place on the last Sunday before Lent. So this last year, Isaiah um, preached on that, and it was at the very end of February, and it's meant to be a moment for people to observe the mountaintop and a reminder of how good God is before they enter the season of Lent. And so as Isaiah, Isaiah preached on that, he reminded us that God's touch is exactly what we need in the moment, regardless of whatever season we find ourselves in or will be going into. And I find it really appropriate that that was the last sermon preached the Sunday before Shelby and I showed up. I just think it's the kindness of the Lord to prepare us for seasons like this. And so for us today in August, as we observe the Feast of Transfiguration, we might have a pretty similar tone to that of Transfiguration Sunday right before Lent. Because we've been in the Valley of Ordinary Time for two months now. We've been learning together that God has great things for us in the middle of the mundane and the ordinary in this great green growing season. Remember that 63% of our lives are spent in this season. So we want to find a way to not miss this moment. We want to dig in and we want to see how God can move our hearts for him, how he can form us into a people who are marked by peace, contentment, love, kindness, peace, and justice. And so here we are in the middle of ordinary time, 
And a feast that I think many of us don't even know what it is gets dropped on our plate in this awesome liturgical calendar that churches all around the world follow. Historically, feast days trace all the way back to the Old Testament as Israel took time out of their lives to remember and worship God for the good things he had done. They were markers for the people of God. And because things honestly don't change that much in the however many of the last thousands of years, Israel would forget who God was in their mundane and ordinary lives just as we do. And so the church has continued this tradition of observing feasts and celebrations in the liturgical calendar. And although I couldn't have told you what they were a couple weeks ago, we do know many of them by proximity. So for example, Easter Day is a feast. While Eastertide is a season in the liturgical calendar, Easter itself is a feast. Same with Pentecost or other specific days dedicated to moments in history or important markers in Scripture like the Transfiguration or Ascension or All Saints Day. And today we find ourselves as the Church of Jesus invited to celebrate and partake in the Feast of Transfiguration to mark this day and moment in ordinary time to draw near to God to celebrate and worship his goodness and what he reveals to us about his kingdom and his character through Jesus being transfigured on the mountaintop. And so let's pray together one more time as we get into the text. Jesus, I really do ask that you would form and shape us as your people. We are listening. Holy Spirit, we long for your presence and we acknowledge your presence and we acknowledge your goodness. Jesus, we acknowledge your kingship. And we as a church submit and surrender to that, knowing that we are all in different places this morning. Would you show us more of what the kingdom of God is and what the gospel of Jesus is and why the transfiguration means so much to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I think to say it quite bluntly at the beginning of our time together, there is so much happening in Luke's account on the transfiguration. We could talk for actually hours, and we do not have that time. Uh, maybe, considering how it goes, maybe we can do a class like Dr. Stratman did <laughs> over that, where you got to spend hours talking about Flannery O'Connor. Maybe we could do the same for the Transfiguration. And honestly, Ashley keeps calling me a huge Bible nerd, uh, and I like, she's right, we are, but there's so much to know. And so we only have a couple short moments together this morning. And so what I want to do is focus on what I believe God wants us to notice and learn together about this passage. And that throughout this homily, I want to be asking this question consistently as a body. What does God have for us today in Northwest Arkansas through the Transfiguration? So first of all, it's important to point out that this text and all the accounts that we actually hear about the Transfiguration, so the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it comes right after a scene where Jesus tells his apostles that he's going to die. He tells them, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then he tells them that if, he really, if they really want to follow him, they're going to have to deny themselves and lose their lives for his sake. Jesus absolutely pulls no punches in this scene. And then he says something really interesting. In verse 27, he says, But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And then we get to our text this morning. It opens up right before the verses we read by saying, now about eight days later. 
And this is directly pointing to the scene beforehand, telling the reader that we cannot read one without the other. We have to pay attention to what happened just beforehand. We have to pay attention to what God said to his disciples, that some of you here will not die before you see the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, we read these words of the transfiguration in Luke, assuming that, that some of them will actually see the kingdom of God. And our main characters in the text this morning are Matthew, or Peter, James, and John. And we think they're about to see the kingdom of God. And so what's so appropriate about that is last week, Ashley preached on the kingdom of God. And we've entered into a season that we're walking through as a church, focusing in on the gospel texts and asking the question, what is the kingdom of God and how are we a part of it? And so maybe just like Peter, James, and John, this morning and into the season to come, we might start getting to experience the kingdom and understanding together as a people what it is. The disciples are brought up to a mountain and they are heavy with sleep. So I think as I start to imagine this scene, I like to think of the end of a really long hike. Maybe you're a Colorado person or a Buffalo River person or whatever it is. You get to the end of a long hike, maybe one with like just a summit, like you are going straight up for a thousand feet. And all you want to do when you get to the end is just sit and chill, right? I want some beef jerky or whatever you're like, poison of choices at the end of a long hike. I want to sit and lounge and breathe in the glory of what I just did. I did the thing and now I'm tired, right? And so Peter and James and John get to the top of the mountain and they start to fall asleep. But Jesus starts to pray. And in that prayer, he is suddenly transfigured. His face changes. His body starts radiating light. (laughs) What in the world? This is such a normal passage to us. Let's just give a second for how incredibly odd that is. And whether this, uh, the point, this, at this point the disciples are awake or not, I'm really uh, not totally sure. But Jesus is shining. His body uh, is emanating glory, shining like the sun. And all of a sudden, these heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah, show up. Now, this is jarring for like a number of reasons, the least of which is maybe that they've been dead for a really long time. Like these dudes are super long gone, but they're there. And then the text points out that they start conversing with Jesus about his departure and what he's about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And I think I'd just like to pause here for a second and ask two burning questions. One, why was Jesus glowing? And two, why were Moses and Elijah there? In this passage, there are multiple callbacks to the story in Exodus, outlining how God was leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land specifically keying in on how Moses and God were interacting. So in Exodus 34, it's our first lesson from this morning, which Joe read, we read about God and Moses speaking face to face. Whenever they would speak afterwards, Moses' skin would be glowing, so much so that he had to put a veil over his face. So what we learn is that Moses was glowing because of God's glory, the shining glory of his presence, In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the Shekinah glory of God, which is when the glory of God is made manifest on earth. And Moses' skin was just a reflection of the Shekinah glory of God. But in our passage this morning, as Jesus starts to shine, what we believe is not that he was shining a reflection of God as Moses was, but that he was actually emanating the fullness of God's Shekinah glory. As a sign to Peter, James, and John that the fullness of God's glory dwells within this Jesus of Nazareth. 
These good Jewish boys would have known right away what it meant for Jesus to be shining as they stood next to Moses. And as for the presence of Moses and Elijah, they were the only two people in the Old Testament who the text explicitly says saw the glory of God. So for Moses, that was in Exodus 33, when he asked to see God's glory and God shows him his back because it would be too much for Moses or any human to see his full glory or they would die. And as for Elijah, it was in 1 Kings 19 when God speaks to him on a mountain in a still small voice. And here they are witnesses to God's glory, not in part like they had already experienced, but in full in Jesus. Moses had, was also known as the keeper of the law. And Elijah was highly regarded in Jewish tradition as the greatest of prophets. So Moses, who represents the law, and Elijah, who represents the prophets, were both present to visibly make clear to our guys, Peter, James, and John, and therefore us, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the one which all of the promises of God from the Old Testament, from the law and the prophets, were pointing to. Last week, Ashley preached on the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus. She defined it as this, Jesus being the culminating fulfillment of God's eternal vision for the world. She explains it this way, the gospel is all about the person of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal word of God who put on our flesh, became a human, was filled with God's spirit and went into the world exercising the rule and reign of dominion of God in the world. The life of Jesus is what the reign and rule of God looks like. Selfless, loving, defeating chaos and violence and evil through sacrifice. God raised Jesus up like many before him so that through Jesus, God could constitute a new humanity, a new people, a brand new creation that would continue to fulfill God's promise to the world. And if that is true, church, if what Ashley spoke on, what our rector, our leader spoke on last week, then the kingdom of God has come in the vision of Jesus being, being king and calling forth a new humanity, which is actually us. His church, which will live by the vision of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter, James, and John got a beginning glimpse of what the kingdom of God was, which had been promised for generations and generations, but was now actually being realized in Jesus. And we must not miss this. For them then and us now, this vision of Jesus in his full glory being witnessed by the law and the prophets is absolutely earth-shattering. Because if the reign of God is brought forth by us living into that vision of Jesus by his Spirit, then this is everything to us, and we got to pay attention. Last week, Ashley said, this is everything to our lives. We asked that question, what does the gospel of Jesus have to do with our lives? Well, if this is all true, it has everything to do with our lives. Because if the kingdom of God has come, if Jesus is really king, then may we not miss it. What we do on Sunday mornings together, 
What we do throughout the weeks together in practice is incredibly important because we are being formed and shaped into the people who are bringing forth the kingdom of God in our everyday lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, both within us and out, in our cities, our (laughs) playgroups, and our sports teams. This is why we're here. And this is not in short, but I think that's why the transfiguration really matters to us today. Uh, So with that, let's get back into our text really quick. We see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. And as he's talking with Moses and Elijah, Peter, God bless him, shouts, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And he wants to build them tents or something to reside in. And while it is so easy to make cheap shots at Peter, I reject that because he is our everyday human and we relate so well. And honestly, what he suggests here, if I'm being really honest, isn't actually that crazy because the dude knows the Old Testament and he knows that it was really common for the people of God, for Israel to be in temporary dwellings. So there is a level where it makes sense for Peter to want to do that. And again, to humanize him and levelize and level with him, he doesn't want to leave this moment. So he knows if, he, if we make temporary dwellings that maybe Jesus, Moses, and Elijah will chill for a minute. And I totally get that. He knew the mountaintop wouldn't last forever. And I think back to the powerful moments of worship in my life. And I'd ask you to do the same just for a moment. For me, it was, it was um, youth retreats in high school or mission trips in college, or something along those lines. And when I hit those mountaintop experiences, I never wanted to leave. But the reality of our lives is that we always go back into the valley. That's why we learn together to follow Jesus in the great green growing season. However, as Peter shouts out, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let's make a temporary dwelling. You know, he's trying to get the words in. A cloud descends upon them. Here's where we need to pivot back to Exodus. We didn't get out that easily this morning. We pivot back to Exodus as the people of God were being led into the promised land out of Egypt. When they were, there was actually a physical cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, which would lead them on their journey. This was to symbolize the leading presence of God. Not even to symbolize, show the leading presence of God. And during that journey, God gave Moses the layout of the building of the tabernacle, which would offer a temporary, again, temporary home for God's presence to dwell as Israel camped out. So whenever Israel would stop traveling, they would set up camp and the cloud of the pillar of fire, which had been leading the Israelites, would descend upon the tabernacle, visibly showing the people of God that the fullness of God's presence dwelled there. So here in Luke, we have an exact callback to that story. As the cloud descends, they hear the voice of God call out, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And as the cloud clears, the text says this, Jesus was found alone. And for Peter, James, and John, they had a chance a chance that no other humans have ever had this side of heaven, to see their heroes of their faith and the one they believe to be the Messiah side by side. And Jesus came out of that group alone 
chosen and glorified. As I studied this passage, a consistent theme from scholars was that at this point in the narrative of Luke, Jesus' identity was being questioned and called out uh, by pretty much everyone on every side. So from the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, from the government, from the Jewish people, and from his disciples as well, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Just a few verses before our story this morning, Jesus actually asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, the Messiah of God. So right before he went up to the mountain with Jesus for the transfiguration, Peter had confessed his belief, and I would say presumably all of the rest of the disciples' belief as well, that Jesus really was the Messiah. And the transfiguration is yet another picture to them, a much, much, much stronger one, that he really is the Christ of God. He really is the one that they had been waiting for, praying for, dreaming for. And the disciples had been with Jesus for a long time at this point. Some scholars would even say they've been with him for years. This may be closer to the end of his ministry. They had seen Jesus do amazing things. And I know they're, they're common for us at this point. We get so used to these stories, sometimes they don't seem amazing, but can you imagine what it was like for the disciples to see him heal men and women? To see him call out demons? To see him feed thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and fish? For real, that's insane. They knew that Jesus was awesome. And they thought probably at this point of the transfiguration, I would be willing to bet they thought they had seen it all. What else could this man do? They had professed their belief. They had seen him do unbelievable things. Is there anything else? And one of the many things I love about this story, especially as we consider how it, how it matters for us today, is that it's a picture of Jesus taking these people who had already experienced his glory and his goodness so many times and showing them something even more magnificent. Something that they could never have imagined. And I think it's appropriate to pause again here and ask this question. As a primarily heavy-churched group of people, out of the primary, primarily Bible Belt, I know that's not all of you, but I think the primary is... Let me ask you this, is, Je- is Jesus magnificent to you? To some of us, I think absolutely. He continues to show us more of his self, his love and his goodness. But I think to some of us, he is not. And that would be for a number of reasons. I think some of us um, might honestly just be bored. Some of us might be angry. Some of us might be confused. And so I want to have a level of transparency this morning and with yourself be honest and just ask yourself, what is Jesus to you right now? Because for some of us, we've been in Northwest Arkansas for a long time whether it's decades or years, we've been around to a lot of churches. We've tried to follow Jesus for a long time. And I think, honestly, we're just tired. And if that's you, I want you to hear me really clearly this morning. Jesus has so much to offer you. And he loves you. 
And he absolutely desires you. And if you're here this morning and you are pumped out of your mind on Jesus, hallelujah. Here's the truth, y'all. If that's you, those of us who are tired in the room, we need you. We need you to sing your hallelujahs and put your hands up and remind us of the goodness of God. What we sang earlier together, we were singing for ourselves, but more than that, we were singing collectively. Because whether you believe it or not, the goodness of God has followed us all of our days. And we need each other to remind each other of that truth. That he is good. That he loves us. That even if we're bored or confused or angry, he has more for us. There's a promise that I absolutely love from Ephesians 2 verses 6 and 7. It says this, Christ raised up raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And I will never forget this. There was a study Bible I used right when I first started following Jesus in high school, which, said, which had a really uh, a great line about this verse. It says that this verse points out that those of us who are saved for an eternity will never plumb the depths of how good God is. The transfiguration shows us a glimpse into the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. And may we know those riches of his kindness and his love, church. May we experience them together as we press on and learn to follow him as a family. As I mentioned earlier, as the church of Jesus, one of the questions we are together this morning to ask is really what does the transfiguration have to do with us today as his people in Northwest Arkansas? And to bring it all together, if Jesus really is king, if he really is the fulfillment of the promises of God, then that has absolutely everything to do with our lives because it reorients the direction of our vocations, our finances, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, literally everything. And then secondly, I think the transfiguration has so much to say to us about how we personally and collectively seek the glory of God so that we may actually be able to know the immeasurable riches of his kindness. The reality of this story is that if Peter, James, and John hadn't gone up to the mountaintop that day, they would not have seen the Shekinah glory of God. They would not have been there to witness this. And so the question for us as a church is simply this, are we putting ourselves in places to see his glory? And then to go to even one step further, are we really even trying to follow Jesus in our everyday lives? Because if we are, I think there's a good chance we will start experiencing Jesus as we read and as we pray, as we practice Sabbath together and we worship, as we take communion together at the Lord's table, as we worship together. Are we intentionally moving our lives in a way that we can experience the glory of God every day? You know, I know this is not easy. I'm really, really not trying to be the pastor that stands up in the morning and just says, do better, <laughs> try harder you'll be okay. Because there's so much happening in life. I feel like we say it every week. There are incredibly packed schedules. Kids make stuff hard to do, right? There's a lot going on with jobs and school. School starting, 
Come on, Jesus. There's hard jobs. There's sickness and cancer. There's loneliness. There's death. There's divorce. There's so, so much happening. And there is nothing easy about orienting our lives to the rhythms and the practices that open us up to seeing the glory of God. But in the ordinary and the mundane of our lives, I think it is absolutely worth the sacrifice because if Jesus is king, if the kingdom has come, then we are here to actually become his church and live out his mission. And so let today, as we observe the Feast of Transfiguration, be a moment where we get to learn that together. In the middle of ordinary time, we don't have to do it alone. Over the next couple weeks, Ashley will continue to lay out the vision of what we believe life together is for us here at Christ the King. As fall kicks off, our community groups will start back up. Christ the King youth will kick off. Our study, we have more studies coming up, chances to serve, to connect, and to pursue Jesus together. And we want you along on that journey. And regardless of where you find yourself this morning, whether you are opening yourself to experiencing God or not, we have a chance to come to the Lord's table, to all experience him together, to receive his body and his blood, his forgiveness and his promises of new life. We as a church participate in this act of worship with, with churches throughout the world this morning and throughout history. We get to come to the table because God's grace is bigger and his glory was truly manifested in Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your glory, that you are the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the promises of God, that the reign and rule and dominion of God is made true in Jesus and lived out by us, fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. May you lead us and guide us in that as a church. May you show us how to become more like you and how to love you more and how to truly follow you. And God, I pray that we would fall in love with you, Jesus. And you would use this Anglican way to form and shape the way we know and follow you and impact this community and our cities around us for the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.